slide up there and make sure it works. Thanks, guys, champions. Who remembers when they were a teenager? Who can't really remember? Do you recall ever boasting about things? You know, the banter that takes place amongst young people? And really, you don't have to be a teenager for that banter. I, I hear it in the primary school when I go to Kids Hope. You, you know, I hear it in older people who say they're the first draft pick in the AFL. We, uh, we, we, we find that it's part of what we do to kind of talk things up. And this was a photo taken of the youth at Ikea, which, praise the Lord, no one kicked us out, I'll be honest. There was a few times I was a bit nervous um, playing games in a furniture store. And at this particular place, um, there was a lot of banter about what they were going to do and how many hot dogs they were going to eat and, and how they were going to win and how they were going to cause mayhem. Lots and lots and lots of banter. You know, we all boast, don't we? Some of us boast in a more inner way. We don't maybe say it as much. And some of us boast in a, in a more verbal, obvious way. Is anybody sitting next to a person who boasts? Now, this is not a hand putting up church, so I expected that. But we all do it, don't we? We all boast in some way. I remember as a kid, I was, it was at my birthday party, seven years of age, I had a bike and I learnt how to ride the bike with no hands. And I just thought I was the best bike rider ever. That was the era when the BMX Bandits movie came out and, and it was just, the BMX bikes were everything. And I remember in, in those days, I can't remember why, but you would say skills and do that. And that meant, you know, I'm skillful, I'm awesome. Uh, this was in New South Wales and so maybe that was just the Eastern States thing, but... They'd go, skills, skills, and, and in front of my family, I decided to go, skills, skills, and then I stacked it. And for the next several years, anytime something happened-ish like that, someone in the family would go, skills, skills. <laughs> Some of us boast about being buff, you know, got our guns, check out Nick's arms, check out Devinda's legs. We, you, you, we, we're all, some of us like to boast about being buff. I've never been in that department. Some of us like to boast about having some sort of a skill, something you're really, really good at. I remember a kid's name, at a, this was in Melbourne, and his name was Shane McKessa. It's funny what you remember, isn't it? He used to throw a rock so far. He was like a stick, a twig. He was tiny. I don't know how he did it. He just whipped his arm around, and these rocks would go flying. And so every night I would go home and try and practice rock throwing to catch up with him. Some people boast about their means. They have capacities and capabilities because of what they have, what they own, what they do. Some people love to boast about their friends. Have you ever sat next to a name dropper? Oh, yep, I've caught up with such and such. He happens to be the such and such. Oh, yeah, I caught up with such and such. She's the blah, blah, blah. A name dropper, yeah. It's cool to have friends like those sorts of friends. And some people are just cool. Have you ever met a cool person? They're just cool. You just want to be like them. You just want to be the same as them. I want to show you a brief video clip of someone who's doing something cool, but it doesn't 
quite well. That's pretty cool. guy had it all. He was buff, he was cool, he had the bike, and then absolute failure. Our passage today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and the title for this message is, If You Want to Boast. And before we look at the passage, we just want to explore this word, both. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, as we have sung today. Help us not to boast in anything else but you. We love you and we thank you. And everybody said, Amen. I just want to grab a couple of passages of Scripture, and some of these will be on the back of your uh, little handout that you received, about this word boast, how this word boast is expressed and used in the New Testament especially. So the first passage comes from Galatians, which we'll be familiar with. It says, they only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it. And claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So some boasting comes out of a capacity to have power or influence. A sense of prestige and status. These people were seeking to boast on the basis of the disciples that they could claim as their own and and build their own prestige accordingly. This is one expression, one, one, uh, one idea of how, what this word means. Uh, the richness of this word, maybe the scariness of this word. Another passage, Romans 5.11 says, Now we can rejoice. In some versions it says boast. But it's interesting that boast and rejoice kind of fit together. Now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, Because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Isn't it interesting that we find a capacity to rejoice and boast in certain relationships we have? Friendships, security that comes with relationships and friendships. The peace that we can know through good relationships. In fact, it's almost like you want to rejoice. It's It's a joyful thing to have a really good friend. Do you have a really good friend? Every time you see them, it's almost just you're looking forward to being with them, hanging with them. It's almost rejoice-ish. Is that a word? John Foley's not here, so I'll get away with it. He's listening to his son preach. Philippians 3 says, We rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. So to boast is, is describing something of our reliance who, who and what do we rely upon? Who and what do we boast about? It, it, it's a genuine existential reliance, something that we really trust and believe in. Someone, someplace, something. What about James, where it says, Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honoured them. Boasting is, is not just about possessions, but it's about honour, something maybe intangible, something that we can feel and appreciate in ourself, that sense of esteem. I'm boasting about someone, I'm honouring them. 
I'm, I'm, I'm boasting about someone, I'm also kind of honouring myself a bit. Can you see that? If you want to boast, who do you boast about today? Let's read this passage. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the Scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. Now, you just need to appreciate that at this moment, as this is being spoken and read, the audience is like, whoa, really? That is a little bit offensive. That is a little bit in your face. I mean, who here doesn't want wisdom? The Bible talks a lot about wisdom. The Bible talks a lot about being smart, doing things well. Wisdom's good. So what is Paul going on about? Great question. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in His wisdom saw to it that the world would never know Him through human wisdom, He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Now, that's my little insert. Why? Because God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made Him to be wisdom itself. God made, Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and He freed us from sin. Therefore, as the Scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Has everyone heard of Lee Strobel, a Christian who came to faith? He did a tweet a few days ago. This is what he said. 38 years ago, November 8, 81, I yielded my life to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I expected to stay as a journalist, but God had different plans. Who knows sometimes God has different plans? 
The result has been a life of unmatched adventure. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving my sins and leading my life. I reckon that is a beautiful boast about the Lord. He is boasting about what Jesus has done for him. But the key to the boast of what Paul is describing is a little word which often you think, why? And it actually starts with why, and it's yield. No one likes yielding. Have you ever driven on South Australia's roads and almost telepathically begging someone to yield a little so you can just get in front? We are a state of non-yielders. Non-yielders. I have travelled overseas and they have a different form of yielding. It's like just slowly getting closer and closer and closer until someone flinches. So it's more of a game of chicken than anything else. Thinking of places like the Philippines and India where they just get closer and closer and, and on, it's like watching a movie and somehow there's no scratches and no prangs yet all the cars are scratched and pranged. Yielding is hard. Yielding is difficult. It's really important that we understand that to have faith and believe requires yielding. And that is not popular in our culture. We do not have a culture of yielding unless it's the tax office coming to you. In fact, it talks about us being fools, those who follow Jesus. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. And it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. To follow Jesus seems foolish. Have you experienced what I'm talking about? Where there is this genuine sense that, you know what? I think they think I'm a fool. Why is boasting in Christ deemed a foolish thing? First of all, from this passage of Scripture, I just want to give three really quick thoughts. It's really important to know that people are still asking and seeking. The Jews are still seeking a sign and, and the Greeks are still seeking wisdom. Our world is still asking and seeking. I saw on the news yesterday a wellness festival and there are guys doing all sorts of yoga positions because they're seeking and asking, trying to attain a sense of peace in their life. Would you agree? In some way, shape or form, our world is seeking and asking for something. For something. That's really important to know. The second thing to identify here is that maybe Paul identifies two categories, two ways people are seeking and asking to resolve tension and conflict in their life, to find peace. You see, the Jews loved signs. That was the authenticity of their God. Their very gathering together as a people was full of signs and wonders. Just think of leaving Egypt and the ten plagues. Pretty impressive, would you agree? You think about what God did to them as they travelled from Egypt to the promised land and then taking the promised land, full of signs. And then as the prophets would come through throughout the years and centuries that passed by, there was always signs. Signs was like the authenticity of God. But for the Jews, it reached the point where they were only interested in the signs and not interested in God. 
not interested in God. Paul, instead of maybe speaking to Gentiles, he specifically uses Greeks, because Greeks were famous for what? Kalamata olives, I agree. Euros, big winner that one, big winner that one. But also wisdom, philosophy, thought, thinking. Huge strides were made as this group of people worked at and developed ways to understand the world and answer the big questions of life. They had a culture of science and and seeking to understand. In fact, status in that culture was based on your knowledge and the perceived wisdom which you had. They They were looking at at what was around them, they were observing what was around them and imprinting what they observed upon what was the unseen. In fact, the Greeks had gods that were remarkably like us. They made many scientific observations and said, this is how we are, then that must be how the gods are too. They placed their trust in their wisdom. Anything else was nonsense. The Jews place their trust in signs. Without signs, it's offensive. The result of both of these, when Jesus speaks, is that when we preach about Jesus, when we have faith in our crucified Saviour, there are people who will be offended. And there are people who will say, you are an idiot. That is nonsense. Are you... Religion went out a hundred years ago. The Bible went out. Jesus, like that was, you know, we've moved on from that. We've moved on from that. The problem with signs and for people who seek signs is they're actually seeking to reduce the requirement of faith in their life. And this is the big danger because when you experience and see an overwhelming experience of signs, is there any room for faith? You have all the signs you need. What is the exercise of faith in that? I mean, even those closest to Jesus, Philip said, sir, show us the Father and then we'll be satisfied. Even these people who are right next to Jesus are are looking for a sign. Jesus, we know what you're saying, but it's, it's not really enough. Show us a sign. Show us the Father and then we'll believe. And wisdom, wisdom is the comprehensive understanding to the point where you don't need faith because you know, you know. Where is the need for faith? Those who are are seeking wisdom and and understanding, and this can often happen in our church context where we go to Bible colleges and we learn all sorts of great theology and we learn understanding, we can reach a place in our experience, our long experience in our Christian walk where we kind of know everything. I've seen it all. Where, Where is the need for faith in my life? Where is the exercise of faith in my life? You see, comprehensively, wisdom at its fullest doesn't require faith, does it? In fact, that same passage, Thomas said to Jesus, no, we don't know where you're going, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? 
Give us wisdom. Give us knowledge. Give us understanding. Tell us how it works. If those closest to Jesus felt that, I wonder if we can feel the same. Faith in Jesus is considered foolish and powerless. Foolish and powerless. And those who are trying to take a leap of faith face that pressure. This is foolish. This is ridiculous. This is unnecessary. Why am I facing this? Verse 27 says, God chose things considered foolish to shame those who think they are wise, chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. There is no excuse for any of us. God chose what was despised. God chose something that really is so easy, it's hard. Wouldn't you agree? To just believe in Jesus? Is, is that it? Are you sure? Isn't there some sort of circumcision I can do to fit in? You know, I've had that older call and no one's ever come down. Isn't there something that I can do? Something else? No. No, there's nothing else. Do we allow our faith in Jesus to sit above signs? Do we allow our faith in Jesus to sit above wisdom? Even when we pray and God doesn't seem to answer our prayer. You ever felt that? You either go two ways. You either try and ignore it and forget about it, justify it. Some people, it really hurts their faith. And they can even stop praying and expecting. Because they don't want to experience a sign not happening. Yet Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The power of God that overcame death, displaying absolute control and triumph. The wisdom of God that, that God Himself would give Himself. That God would be with us. Jesus would become like us and take our place that we deserved. How could we ever move away from this gospel? How could we ever move away from the good news? How could we ever move away from the power and wisdom of God? I think there are three pressures especially that are attacking us, causing us to move away, to, to, to maybe play down the good news. These three pressures aim to contain our faith. The first pressure is the spirits of this world. Something that is portraying a false god. In Galatians 1.6, it says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And you are turning to a different gospel. A different gospel. It's possible. It's possible to be attracted to a different gospel. That's not the gospel of Christ. Something else portraying itself as a false god. That was a lot of what we looked at in Galatians. But listen to this passage. This is from Job chapter 4. People often describe something like this. A word was secretly brought to me. My ears caught a whisper of it. 
Amid disquieting dreams in the night, when deep sleep falls on people, fear and trembling seized me and made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face and the hair on my body stood on end. It stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes and I heard a hushed voice. Who feels like they're reading a scary book? Who feels like they're watching a movie when the music is really tense? You know, some people really do know what this passage is talking about. I've been in some places where it feels so oppressive in the unseen, it's like it's hitting you. It's like it's hitting you. Paul says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. These dark spiritual forces of Satan press up against us, hoping to pull us away from the gospel of Jesus, causes fear and doubt, blockages, contains our mind to worry and anxiety. Now, Jesus knew this. In Luke 22, Jesus says to his disciples, Satan has asked that he be allowed to sift you. The enemy is very real. Very real. The second thing is human philosophy, the need for righteousness, our efforts, our wisdom, our desires to determine our own righteousness, to be made right. Most people want to be right. I meet very few people who say, yeah, I'm happy to be wrong all the time. Most people want to be in the right. They want to be righteous. A way of living that says, I'm a good person. Not perfect, but I'm a good person. I've done okay. I help the next door neighbour with their mowing and if a car breaks down, I push it out the way and I'm a good person. Who here is a good person? You know, one day, listen, surprise me, just one day, everyone just raise your hands, just totally buzz me out one day. Maybe the 29th of December, the last day of the year, that would be a great treat for me. I'm not perfect, but I do good. I'm a good person. No one wants to do wrong. Colossians says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. You know, for us to be righteous is a heavy load. Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yes, my, my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The third thing is fear, the need for acceptance, and the pressure of our age to be accepted. You know, when we're young, we, we maybe feel like we're missing out on experience. I have my younger children saying, I don't get to do what the older ones are doing. You know, not, not having, can't wait for that 
time when I'm old enough, the fear of missing out on experience. Maybe middle age, it's a fear of lack of achievement and getting done what needs to be done. Maybe in senior years, it's like I'm running out of time. Fear is everywhere. Acceptance is this pressure, though, that regardless of our age, we really want to belong and feel valued. We really want to belong and feel valued. How many movies have you seen where someone who is very rich, and I'm thinking of a particular Eddie, movie, Eddie Murphy movie, very rich, very royal, but wants to give it all up so that he can meet a girl who just loves him for him. Acceptance is a powerful thing. The need to be accepted. We all want it. We all deeply desire it and yearn it. But the power of fear can intimidate us and overwhelm us. The fear of not being accepted hurts us, persuades us to say and act differently. It can persuade us to act in a way that is really not ourself. Luke 12 says, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Because we want to be accepted. It's hard to acknowledge God. What about Galatians 2? But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism. No one puts their hand up wanting criticism. We don't want to be criticized. We want to be accepted. We want to say things that are funny and everyone laughs. Oh, that guy's a funny guy. We want to say things that are wise and go, gee, that was a wise thing. We want to say things that are helpful. Gee, that really helped me. What about Peter? Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. You know, this is often something that a new Christian experiences when they're coming to faith and they're coming to the Lord and they're seeing a new way of living, some of the old lifestyle things seem attractive and they're trying to push it away and their friends are slandering them. If you want to boast, if you want to boast, then we need something to combat these forces. Otherwise, we end up boasting mainly about ourselves. So what are... What are the opposites? Could those who are going to wait for our communion, would you come forward? We have a few, because we've changed the order around, we might just need a few extra volunteers, so um, four people we need. God bless you. God's opposite of the spirits of this world is the Holy Spirit. John 14 says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. If there are the spirits of this world, we need the Holy Spirit. What about the opposite of human philosophy? Well, we need to exercise faith and we need to yield. We need to yield our life to our Lord Jesus. Romans 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. If you're going to believe that, you need to exercise faith and you need to yield. You need to yield. 
Philemon 1.6 is a beautiful little verse. It says, I pray that as you share your faith with others, it will grip their lives too. And so, and as they see the wealth of good things in you that come from Christ Jesus. How do we escape human philosophy and self-righteousness? We, we, we need to experience that moment where we share faith and we share the richness that Christ Jesus has done in me. Like this is so much more than anything the world could offer. That reminds us of our peace, the opposite of fear. May God our Father and Lord Jesus give you His blessings and His peace. Ultimately, that's what we want, don't we? We want a peaceful life. We want to know where we're going. We want to know that in the midst of this trial and pressure that, that we can experience peace. If you want to boast this morning, then this bread and this cup that we hold, that's what we need to boast in. The one who gave his life for us, that's what we need to boast in. That's what we need to rely upon. That's what we need to rejoice in. This bread and this cup reminds us to remember the one whom we ought to boast about. That's it. You see, this foolish plan of God, this, this moment where Christ gives himself this little cup and this little bread in the eyes of the world, this foolish plan is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. On the cross, Jesus yielded his life. He exercised faith in Father God. He rejoiced in what he was doing. And he boasted about his heavenly Father who said, into your hands I entrust my spirit. The biggest boast of them all. Where do you entrust your spirit today? Where do you entrust your spirit? As you eat and drink, would you take a moment to remember him and to thank him? And in your heart, maybe boast about him. Let's just take a moment. Holy Spirit, help us to boast about you. Let's eat and drink. Those who are waiting upon us for the cups, if we could just do that afterwards, if you would just take your seats. We're just going to have a time of prayer.
there's a short video clip and and what I'm asking is that we would pray for one another is that okay we've shared communion together I'm going to ask that we would pray one another there's going to be some music in the background and what I'm asking is this that we would go up to one another and that we would pray we would pray for that person for wisdom and for strength is that okay you don't have to ask what it's about but Jesus is the wisest thing and the strongest thing and we need those two things in our life we need wisdom and we need strength it could be physical strength emotional strength mental strength we need Jesus so feel free to move around just to sit where you are and at the end of the song we will finish god bless
if you want to continue to pray, please pray. But as time allows, would you please join us in the rear hall as we have some tea, coffee, have a light lunch, participate in this great project, gluing the flags. May you boast about Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.